And if you read Acts chapter 2, I mean, it's like a love fest. They were loving one another and, and they were serving one another and they were praying together and they were studying God's word together and they were hanging out and eating their meals together. It even said they were selling all of their possessions, putting it together to make sure that everybody's needs in the community, they were being met. But the thing I love, I mean, it was like church at its finest hour. The thing I love is as you get to the end of chapter 2, it says as the community was watching from the outside, watching this church, observing this church, they were in awe. And I thought, how cool is that? I mean, these are people, it doesn't mean that they became members of the church, maybe never attended the church. It doesn't mean that they became uh, followers of Jesus Christ, but it was like the community watched this church and they were thinking, wow, now that's a great church. And I'm not even sure I know what they believe or if I believe in what they believe, but if I were gonna go to church, I would probably go to that church because I think they're serious about what they say. It's a great church. And it got, it got me thinking, what makes a great church? I guess I should think about that as a pastor. What makes a great church? Or maybe a better question would be, if Jesus was on the earth today, what church would he attend and why? You ever thought about that? Or bringing it a little closer to home, what would motivate Jesus to be a part of Hope Community Church? I mean, you ask the average person, you ask the average Christian, what makes a church great? You're gonna get all kinds of answers. You're gonna hear, well, you gotta have a great location and you gotta have a great facility and you gotta have great music and you gotta have a lot of money and you gotta have great children's programs. You gotta have great teen program. You gotta have a great college program. You gotta have a great young married program. You gotta have a lot of small groups. You gotta baptize a lot of people. You better have a dynamic teacher. You gotta give a lot of money to you know, missions all around the world. All kinds of things people just assume you got to have if you're going to be a great church. But it's interesting, when you have that conversation, it generally boils down to things that you can count. In other words, what people are basically saying is that a great church is a church that has all the right numbers in the right places. But what we're going to learn this weekend over the next few minutes is, is that what God is really looking for in a church, it can't be counted, can't be charted, it can't be put on a graph or a spreadsheet. Those aren't what God is interested in. And this is very, very important to me, what I'm going to talk to you about over the next few minutes, because as I've said before, I grew up in church. And when I said I grew up in church, I mean, we never missed church. Uh, we never had this conversation in our home. Hey, are we going to church this weekend? That was never the conversation. If you were alive, you know, if you weren't running a fever or throwing up, you were going to church. It really wasn't an option. In fact, we were such, church, such a church family, we never, ever, ever, ever missed a Sunday because we were on vacation or out of town, ever. I mean, if we went on vacation, which meant, because we were so poor, we were going to go to the relative's house and eat off of them for a few days, basically, right? <laughs> we left on a Monday, and we got by, back by Saturday because we never, ever missed church. But I got to be honest with you. The idea of going to church has never been that appealing to me. In fact, I used to look at pastors and think, that's the suckiest job in the world because when I'm an adult, I got an option not to go to church, and he doesn't. He still has to go to church every weekend, and here I am. I mean, how, 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 how mean is God? How good is his sense of humor, right? But I got to tell you something, even though I'm a pastor, I'm still not interested in just showing up for church every weekend, but I am incredibly interested in being a part of something that God is doing. And I'll tell you this also, if I'm going to go to a church, I don't care if it's a big church, I don't care if it's a small church, that's kind of irrelevant to me. I just want to make sure that it's a church that has its values, its goals, its objectives in alignment with God so that God is free to work through that church. I want to be a part of the real thing. I'm not interested in just another church service or a church campus or a church program or a church activity or one more church product. I'm not interested in it. I want to experience what God designed the body of Christ, the church, to be. That's all I want, right? And, and to be honest, isn't that what you want? Isn't that why you fight all the hassles to show up here on the weekend? Don't you want to be a part of something that God is actually using to do something in the world, to make a difference in the world, to change the world? 
But I'm going to let you guys know something up front. To be that kind of church, an Acts 2 kind of church, a church that's making a difference in the world, you know, it has a lot more to do with you than it does with me. I think in the early days when we started the church, it probably had more to do with me. We'll call that Hope 1.0. You know, you got to have somebody with a plan, somebody with a, a vision. you got to have somebody that kind of spearheads it. But as we've gotten to where we are now, I'm telling you to be that kind of church has a lot more to do with you than it does with me. And one of the things that I constantly have to think about today as, as, I, as I'm working with my young staff and preparing for the future is this. How do I prepare hope for the future? What is hope going to look like when I'm gone? And I, and I want to just put a rumor to rest because I, I don't know I've gotten this a lot lately. Are you leaving? Are you resigning? No, I, I want to stay here as long as you will have me, as long as the elders will have me. But more importantly, I want to stay here as long as God wants me here. That, that's, that's my plan. In fact, my ultimate dream is this. I'm going to preach the greatest message ever at this service one Sunday, and then I'm going to drop dead. That's done. I'm done. You bury me outside by the uh, fountain, and Laura gets to have a dinner date that night. Everybody, everybody wins, right? And I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I told you last week, you know, that God, God's been working in my heart. And I'll just tell you, I mean, maybe I shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you, three weeks ago, I was done. I was just done. And I've never been done. I've thought about being done, but I, I've never been done. And I'll never forget, I, I, was, I was shaving, and I was looking in the mirror, and I, I said to God, I'm done. Don't want to do it anymore. It's not any fun anymore. You got to know this. I never have had any desire in my life to pastor a large church. Never been a goal of mine. Never been something I've been interested in. I've never wanted the pressure that comes with it, the complication that comes with it, sometimes the politics that comes with it. You know me, I'm a basically a redneck PE major and God's sense of humor, here I sit. And so this is not, never, never something I've wanted. And I just have kind of been, can I be honest? I, I didn't share this at any of the other services. I've just been frustrated. I've kind of had this sense, it doesn't matter what I do, I feel like we, we're becoming a country club, you know? I, I show you from God's word why you need to serve. You're not gonna serve. I show you from God's word why you need to give, the potential we have if we give. Like, you're not going to give, you know? And I, and I just kind of got the idea that, hey, if it's convenient, I'll be at church. If there's nothing else to do, you know, if I can't get the beach house, if I can't get the mountain house, if the kids don't have a soccer game, if there's absolutely nothing else to do, wow, we might as well go to church this weekend. We got nothing else to do. I mean, let's face it, a lot of you are here this weekend because you got an extra hour of sleep. And I mean, we're just kind of blowing the place up all over the, all of our campuses this weekend. And so I was like, God, I'm just done. And God said, well, I'm glad you feel that way. But I'm not done with you, so you're stuck there. And so uh, it's like I learned a long time ago, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm done when God says you're free to go. And so right now I'm not free to go, and I'm stuck here. But it's interesting, Laura and I were watching TV yesterday. And uh, I, always, I always record all the Alaska shows because I have this dream one day God's going to let me go to Alaska, and I'm going to pastor a church of 50 people, and it's going to be incredible. And Laura always tells me, I hope they take divorced pastors because she's a Southern California girl, right? She's not going with me. But there's a, new, there's a new show called Edge of Alaska. And it's about a little town of 50 people, McCarthy, Alaska. And all the people, it says a lot of the people that live there, they're running from the law, they're hiding from the law, and this is about as far away from the law. Or they just want to get out of civilization, you know, they want to be off the grid. And I'm, I looked at Laura and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> that could happen, you know. And she said, would you really do that? And I said, oh yeah, oh yeah. She said, well, I'm not going. I said, I know, I know. <laughs> Would you send a postcard? Possibly, can't promise. You know, I, but I said, when I'm, when I'm just not here one day, check out McCarthy, Alaska. That may be where I am with my little church of hoodlums right there in the bar, this meeting in the bar, you know. And, and uh, 
But I was done. I was actually thinking, okay, what do we do? We need to sell the house. I still can't afford to retire. So Ray had promised me a job as a bartender up at Ray's. I was pretty excited about that. And I'm thinking all this through. But I got to tell you something. This is what I realized. It's, this is a lot more about you than it is me. And this is what God told me. You get up there and tell them what they need to hear. And leave the results to me. So I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And I'm even going to tell you right now, next week I'm going to talk about your money. So you can decide what else you want to do next week. Because right then, some of you check that. Well, I'm not going to talk about that, right? But I'm just going to tell you. And we're either going to be the church that can make a difference in the world, or we'll be a country club, and we'll show up, and it'll be a nice hobby, right? But I don't want to do that. And I'll tell you this right now. If you're being the church that Christ designed the church to be, regardless of what happens to me, Bugs Bunny could sit in this chair and hope would be just fine. Wouldn't miss a beat whatsoever because you got to understand the future of hope is not dependent on me. It's, depending on, it's dependent on all of us, you, me, deciding that we're going to reach our maximum potential as followers of Jesus Christ. And as we begin to reach our mass, maximum potential as followers of Jesus Christ, what happens is, as a collective body of people, just like Acts chapter 2, that church, we become kind of invincible kind of unstoppable. We, we, we position ourselves not to just be a big church, but a church that does great things for the kingdom of God. So that's what I want to talk about. How does that happen? Do you have a Bible? Luke chapter 19. If not, we'll put it up on the side screen. Luke chapter 19. It's a very familiar passage. It's, it's the passage about Zacchaeus. It's the passage about the parable of the mina. So Luke 19, if not the side screens. While you're turning, let me just say this. I've always said this. Life is pretty simple. If I could sit down with you and spend 10 minutes and you would let me look at your calendar and if you would let me look at your checkbook, I could get a pretty good read on what you consider to be important in life. I could get a good read on what you consider valuable, what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on, what your priorities are. I'm convinced that our calendars and our checkbooks re reveal more about the seriousness of our walk with God than the way our Bibles look. Because, see, they reveal what we really consider to be priorities, what we really consider to be important. They reveal what we consider to be worthy of our time and our resources. When we look at our calendar, we look at our checks, but that reveals what we're really investing in in this life. And Jesus talked about all this in Luke chapter 19. As I said, it's, it comes right on the heels of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Any Baptists here? Let's sing it. Zacchaeus was a little man and a wee little man was he. Isn't this better than me just teaching it? He climbed up in the more tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he up in the tree. All three Baptists now together. Zacchaeus, you come down. Why? Because I'm going to your house today. It freaked the people out when that happened. So Jesus didn't sing it that way, just, you know. It freaked the people out that Jesus was going to hang out with Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus, he, he was a scumbag. I mean, he was a tax collector. He was a thief. He, he, was, he, was, he was a traitor. He was like the trifactor of badness. I mean, he was, he was a Jew who worked for the Romans, who was collecting taxes from the Jews and giving it to the Romans. Everybody absolutely hated him. And Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm picking you out. I want to go have lunch with you. And after that meal, Zacchaeus, he walked out. His life was radically changed. In fact, this is what it says in verse 8 of Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Wow. 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. In other words, when, when he had that encounter with Jesus and Jesus changed his life, everything in his life changed. His priorities changed and his life began to reveal that. So you got this crowd and they're still, you know, they're still kind of, you know, grappling with this uh, stunning change of events in the life of Zacchaeus who went from being a, a traitor and a thief to all of a sudden, I'm, I'm going to give half my stuff away. I mean, Jesus has so impacted my life. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back four times what I cheated them of. They're, they're like still grappling with this stunning change of events. And Jesus is like, well, while I've got a crowd, let me tell them a parable. And he tells them the parable of the minus. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. While they were listening to this, he, and he, that, that would be Jesus, went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth, and, and that, that, that man is Jesus, the, the nobleman in the story is Jesus, so Jesus is, is kind of telling a parable about himself, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So Jesus is saying, basically, one day I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to come back as king, okay? So he called 10 of his servants. Now, so we got Jesus who's saying, one day I'm going to leave. And we know that happened in Acts chapter 1. He ascended back to heaven. One day he's going to come back to this earth. He's going to set it up as his kingdom. And he called 10 of his servants. Now, these servants represent a lot of us. These are all the people, represent all the people between the time that Jesus went to heaven, the time that Jesus is going to return, all the people who became followers of Jesus Christ. Every Christian, everybody who accepted God's free gift of salvation during that period of time. Those would be the servants. So verse 13, he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minus. So Jesus is making up this story. He has this point he, want to get, point he wants to get across. Now, so you know, a mina represented 100 days worth of wages. So this nobleman, he calls his servants together and he gives them each one-third of what they would normally make in a year. Now, you could figure out what would one-third of your salary be. I could figure that up in my life, but it's a pretty fair chunk of change, right? And then this nobleman, remember, remembers Jesus, this nobleman gives them a clear command in verse 13, put this money to work. In other words, get off your mina and put it to use. That's what, not what it says in the Greek. That's just a paraphrase of mine. But basically Jesus was saying, invest it, cultivate it, grow it, expand it. I want you to do something with what I have given you because there's going to be accountability. Verse 13, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. In other words, this nobleman says, when I return, there's going to be a day of reckoning. There's literally going to be a come to Jesus meeting. So these servants, right, they're going to be held accountable for what they're going to do with what they've been given. Now, Jesus doesn't say in the parable how long the nobleman was gone. Maybe months, years, possibly decades. But we do read in verse 15, he was made king, however, and returned home. So he's returning home to this earth as the king. Then he sent for the, sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And there's three different reports. Verse 16. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. In other words, I took that third of a year of salary you gave me and I multiplied it 10 times. Now, Jesus in the parable doesn't tell us how the man did it. You know, maybe, maybe he got into Duke and became a research scientist and, and he figured out the cure for Ebola, you know, and he parlayed it into some money. Or maybe he went to state, got into the vet school, figured out how to breed cattle where you had a beef that had no cholesterol and no fat. Maybe, or he went, to, he went to Carolina and he wrote fake, you know, papers and printed degree. I don't know for the athletic department. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, there's a lot of money obviously to be made there, but we're not sure what happened. It could happen. Now, Roy knows nothing about it. Just understand. Okay. Now, whatever multiplied their original investment 10 times, but verse 17, 
Look what happens. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. In other words, since you've been faithful with the little bit I gave you, you're going to have an expanded role in my kingdom. Verse 18. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. We don't know how. Maybe it was real estate, pork belly, stock market. Maybe he invested somewhere. But verse 19, his master answered, you take charge of five cities. In other words, you have an expanded role in my kingdom. Verse 20. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. In other words, he didn't lose the mina. He just didn't do anything with it. He wrapped it up. He put it in his sock drawer. He brought it back and he says, here it is. Now notice verse 22. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. So the master condemns this servant with the indictment, you are Wicked. Now, let's just back off a little bit. I mean, let's not overreact. It's quite a statement. I mean, when I think of somebody being wicked, you know, when I say that guy's wicked, it's usually pretty extreme. I mean, this servant, he's, he, he's definitely lazy. He's definitely unindustrious. He's probably, he's probably never going to build a Fortune 500 company. You know, he might be one of those guys that's still living with his parents at 35, but wicked? I mean, really? Doesn't that seem a little harsh, Jesus? I mean, if he'd taken the mine and hired a hitman and knocked off his wife, see, we'd all sit around our small groups and say, that dude was wicked, right? Or if he'd have blown it on pornography and drugs and gambling in Vegas, we would say, what a wicked dude. Or if he'd taken his mina and invested it and actually made millions and just kept it for himself, we would say, man, that's a wicked dude, right? He didn't do that. He just returned the third of a year's salary that the master had given him. Now, here's the question. Why would that be considered wicked? I'll tell you why. It's, the servant was declared wicked when what he did was measured against what he could have done. He was declared wicked when what he did was measured against what his potential was, what he could have done. I mean, think about it. If somebody in our life, somebody in our small group, a student we go to school with, if, if our family member, if they failed to achieve their God-given potential, we would probably say, that is so sad. They had so much potential. Or we would say, oh, man, that is such a tragedy. They, they could have done so much, but we would never say they were wicked. So what does this parable teach us? It teaches us this. It teaches us that God views this kind of negligence of what he's given us much more seriously than we do. He says, when you don't take advantage of what I've given you for my kingdom, you are wicked. It gets even more interesting, verse 24. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And I gotta tell you, when I first read that, it bothered me, you know? When the king says, take his and give it to the one who has 10, I'm like, don't do that. He already has 10. If you, give him, if you give him another one, he's going to have 11. Give it to the guy who had five. That means he'll have six. It'll be much more fair, much more even. I mean, that's, that's just the way we think. We want equality. We want equity. And I am convinced a lot more people think like me than think like God. We want life to be fair. And it bothers us sometimes that God would be so disproportionate. We look around at people. Why do they have so much? I have so little. It bothers us that God would be so unfair. you got to understand Jesus was making a point. And Jesus was teaching this. He was teaching that those who are most faithful in this life with their resources. And when I say resources, I'm talking about our time. We have 86,400 seconds every day to figure out how to live in the kingdom of God and make a difference. I'm talking about our treasure, our financial resources. I'm talking about the talents, the gifts, the abilities that God has given us. He was teaching that those who are most faithful with their resources, you're gonna find an expanded 
role in God's kingdom. That's why it says in verse 26, he replied, I tell you, this makes us uncomfortable. This is not the American way right here. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. Well, that's not fair. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That's pretty hardcore, Jesus. I mean, what are you talking about? By the way, we had the election coming up Tuesday. I've already voted. And I'm thinking about running next year for something, strictly on the platform, an extra hour of sleep every Saturday. I mean, I think it's a, it's a shoe in to get elected. I don't know how we're going to do that, but I'll figure it out. I often want to preach, is Jesus a Democrat or a Republican? Just to get people thinking. And he was neither. I mean, they're, I mean he had integrity, so he's not going to be identified with either one of those groups. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Jesus is also not a socialist because he's not into wealth redistribution. I'm just telling I mean, look at what it says. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But it's for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Here's the principle. Here's what Jesus is teaching. If God can impact more people by entrusting others with more resources than he gives you, he will. You look around and think, why do they have so much? Here's the principle. If God can make more of a difference in his kingdom by giving resources to other people, more resources to them than he gives you, that's exactly what he will do. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is much more interested in people coming into a saving relationship with him. He's much more interested in expanding his kingdom than he is in being fair. I think Jesus would say this. It's not about what you get. It's about what you do with what you have. And let me tell you something. God honors reaching out. He honors stretching. He honors, he honors living above the status quo, going beyond. I mean, I was thinking about this all week. Most of us have role models, right, in our lives. We have some kind of mentor in our life. Everyone, I promise you, is a high achiever, right? Nobody has a loser for a role model, do they? Anybody have an underachiever for a low model? Man, I wish I could be that lazy. No, nobody, you don't say, nobody has Lindsay Lohan as a role model, right? Your role models are people that decided, uh-uh, status quo won't work, not sufficient, status quo not acceptable. They understand that as Christians, there's a way to live life, and they've determined to do it God's way. They understand we have a God in heaven. He has a master plan that involves us as his followers reaching the world. That's what's on his heart. And the reality is, and God knew this going in, he's only got a few to get the job done. So the question is, are we going to do it? Pedal to the metal. 86,400 seconds a day, or are we just going to coast? Go with the flow. Erwin McManus, I'd recommend you get this book. It's called Seizing Your Divine Moment. Uh, the, the subtitle is Dare to Live a Life of Adventure. But he has a great chapter on potential. Let me just read something from it. He said, there's so much talk about potential in our culture as if it's the end all of success. Has everyone, anyone ever said uh, about you, he has so much potential. If you're under 20, Let's give you 25. Consider it a compliment. Potential, your untapped or unlocked capacity. Potential, the hint of greatness not yet developed. He has so much potential. It's a statement of praise, maybe even adoration. And then you're 30, and you still have all this potential. Pressing 40, and you're still full of potential. And then McManus writes this. If you're 45, and someone looks at you and says, you have so much potential, pause Excuse yourself, step into a closet, and have a good cry. Isn't that cool? Isn't that true, though? 
What was once a statement of promise is now an assessment of lost opportunity. There is a point where you're not supposed to be full of potential. You're supposed to be full of talent, full of capacity, full of production. Potential is a glimpse of what could be, yet there must be a shift from where we have potential to where we become potent. See, that's how God created us. Not just to have potential, but to be potent. That's why he told him in Acts chapter 2, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you're going to be potent. And I'm just telling you, if you decide you're going to live your life the way God designed it, you will squeeze out every ounce of potential that God has given you with your time, your talents, your treasure, your resources, and you will do something with it for his glory. Now, I want to apply all of this, and I don't have to say much because the the application just jumps off the page, but there's a couple of principles here. And this is what I want you to think about as I go through these two applications. Let me just ask you, and you're the only service I've asked this, so God must want you to hear this. If everybody at Hope's commitment was dependent on your level of commitment, Forget reaching the triangle and changing the world. Could we even open the doors on the weekend? What are you doing your resources? Here's the two questions. Here's the first one. Here's the first principle. When we use the resources, and that would be our time, talent, treasure, when we use the resources that God has given us, you've got to understand, it's an investment of his resources, not ours. Everything you have is God. He owns it all. I'm going to say more about this next week, right? And what he gives us, he may let us use it, but it is still his property. He just makes us managers of it. We're just held responsible for it. And he cares how we handle his stuff in this life, so we'd better care also. We have to realize it's a gift from God. And that every day we have a chance to use our gift, our talents, our resources to invest in what God is doing in the world. So here's my first piece of advice. Be wise. You think you're handling your stuff? You're not handling your stuff. You're handling stuff that God gave you. And he's going to hold you accountable because here's the second one. We will all give an account to God for the resources that he's given us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Christian, that's your rat or your cage. It's just just, just send a chill up and down your spine. If that doesn't phase you at all, I mean, if that just rolls off your back like water off a duck's back, I'm almost confident you're not a Christian. I'm almost confident. See, church is just a hobby for you. And I'm promising you, there are better hobbies in the world. Good gracious, put together model airplanes. But don't make church just a hobby. Think about this. One day, we're going to stand before Jesus as Christians. The guy who died for us. And when we stand there, he's going to ask us one question. Not whether or not you're a Christian. That's another judgment. If you're standing before Jesus, you're in. You've accepted the free gift of salvation. This is what he's going to ask you. One question. One question. What did you do with what I gave you? Just want to know. What did you do with what I gave you? You know? I gave you some stuff. What did you do with your talent, your time, your abilities, your resources? Did you sit on them? Use them all on yourself? Did you waste them? Or did you invest some in my kingdom? Let me tell you something. Got a lot of college kids here. Degrees are important, but he won't be impressed by the number of your degrees. He won't be impressed by your salary. He won't be impressed by your title at work. He won't be impressed by all the cars that you've got to drive or the house that you live in. But if we're not careful, we'll get, our, we'll get our cues from the world. And we'll end up on that, be, that day being tragically misled. He's just going to simply say, what did you do with what I gave you? And by the way, a few weeks ago I talked about out of Revelations when he will wipe every tear from our eye. I believe it's when we're right here. Because I believe this is when we'll realize, oh, now that I'm standing face to face with my Lord and Savior, I realize just how little I did 
And I, even then he's going to be gracious. He says he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, right? This is how Paul describes that day, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, By the grace, of, the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. He's talking about how we live our lives. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. See, that's the foundation we're building on. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder, that would be us, will receive a reward. This is how I, in my little PE major brain, imagine it going down. I'm going to stand before Jesus, and Jesus is going to say, Mike, glad you're here. What did you do with what I gave you? And about that time, you're going to hear beep, 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 like a dump truck, you know, backing up before the throne, lever pull, dumps it all there. Wood, hay, stubble, sawdust, a little bit of silver, gold, maybe a few precious stones. And somehow Jesus is going to try it by fire. I don't know if he has a flamethrower, flicks his bick. I don't know what's going to happen, but he's going to say, everything that burns up would be the, all the stuff that he gave me that basically I use for me, right? And then maybe he's going to have to get off the throne and kind of go through the ashes and say, oh, here's a little bit of gold, here's a little bit of silver, here's a, little, here's a few precious gems that you did with the right motive and the right attitude also. Now, I know I'm weird, but that, that kind of stuff keeps me up at night. Because I don't want to be embarrassed and say, I, I, I want to hear, good job. You, you, you were good. Faithful servant. Let me tell you something. We're living at a time in history where it's a great time to live because, see, things are come, becoming a little bit clearer in our society. Let's face it, the American dream isn't working the way it used to work. Painkillers aren't killing enough pain in people's lives anymore. Relationships aren't working very well, and they're getting weird, and you can't define them, and it's creating all kind of chaos, and people are looking something, but I'm telling you, alternatives to Christianity, they're, they're failing left and right. And because of that, we live in a world full of people who are ripe and ready to hear that God is still in the come-to-me business. Come-to-me business. I can fix you. I can make you what you want to be. People want to hear that message. But we have to decide to what extent we're going to be used in God's reclamation project. This is what it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, one of my favorite verses. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So that's what we sang about earlier together. All to Jesus, I surrender. You don't have to take it from me. All to you. See, you surrender. What do you do? You raise your hands, right? All to you, I freely give. What do you want? This is what I got. I got a car, got a house, got a kid, two ferrets and a dog. You know, I can sing a little. I can serve a little. What do you want? What do you want? And when you put it all on the altar, he says, that's a good place to start. When we get there, not me, not just me preaching, not just good worship, not just great kids. When we get there as a congregation, we'll make a difference. But until then, we'll be a country club. And Jesus didn't die for country clubs. Now, I got an object lesson. I want you to stand up if you're 18 or over. Just stand up. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere, do anything. You don't have to do anything weird. I'm not going to make you take your clothes off or anything like that. 
not this week. Okay, you're going to get an envelope, and just, when you get the envelope, just sit down. Okay, don't even open it. I'll tell you what's in it. When you get your envelope, sit down. Some of you have been through this drill before. When you get your envelope, just sit down. And this is what you're getting. You're getting an envelope containing cash. We're giving out $100,000 over our three campuses to all the people of hope this weekend. You're going to have somewhere between $10 and $100 in that envelope. I want to tell you what I want you to do with it. Don't open it. Just hang on to it. If, uh, well, I'll just say that later. A couple of things let me tell you about that money. Just keep listening. You cannot spend it on yourself. That would be wicked. Okay? Don't go to Taco Bell. Yeah, Bojangles afterwards. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's, 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 not, it's not for you. Okay? So don't, don't spend it on yourself. Second, this is what I want you to do with the money. We're going to live out in a small way the parable of the mina. I want you to take that money in that envelope, and I want you to figure out between now and Christmas how you're going to invest it and multiply it. Now, this is what makes us a little different. I don't want us to do this on our own. I want you to find other people to connect with. If you're in a small group, perfect. You're already in a small group. You can connect with a small group. You don't have to go to their Bible studies or anything, but you could partner with them during the minor project. Maybe, I know we have like 80 people at Hope, at least that I know of, that work at SAS. Maybe you're in a company where there are other people that you find out go to Hope. You could partner with them. Maybe you know some parents who are on a soccer team together. Maybe people in your neighborhood go to Hope. I want you to figure out where you can connect with a group of people. Maybe college students. Maybe it's through Crusade or a Bible study or something on campus. But I want you to connect with other people. And I want you to sit down. And I want you to see how much money you've got. And then I want you to say, okay, what are we going to do? We've got till Christmas. How are we going to invest this? How are we going to grow it? How are we going to expand it? How are we going to multiply it? Now, let me tell you what we did a few years ago. A few years ago when we did the mining project, Laura and I, we knew another couple in our neighborhood. We put our money together. We had 90 bucks. And we decided because our, our, we lived in an older neighborhood and the mailboxes were looking kind of ratty, but they all had to be the same because, you know, we have a covenant mm, idiots. But anyway, um, <laughs> so we sent a letter out and said, for 50 bucks, we will replace your mailbox post. For 90 bucks, we'll put a new mailbox on it. So we went and we bought, you know, some stuff that wood that wouldn't rot type stuff, that new mess they have. And, and Doug built them and I installed them and painted them. And if they wanted a mailbox, I put the mailbox on it with the new numbers and stuff. Over a period of weeks, we took our $90 and as we, we sold a few, we went and bought more supplies. We took our $90 and we invested it and we, we returned uh, $2,400. And that was just an idea. Now, I don't know about you, two words jump out to me, medical marijuana. Okay, I'm just saying. Now, honestly, I don't watch the news, so I don't even know what that's legal or not. So don't quote me on it, because I, I don't know really where North Carolina stands on that stuff. But I'm just saying, I think it's probably neat. Uh, you know? But anyway, I want you to figure out how to invest it. Now, what are you going to do with it? By Christmas, I want you to find a need in the community and give it to that need. It could be a single mom with kids where they're not going to have a Christmas. It could be a family that's going through a health crisis and they're down on their income. It could be someone who's been laid off work. It, you could go to a school, sit down with a pr principal or maybe a teacher and say, hey, I got a group of people who are trying to raise some money as a gift for Christmas. Is there a need? Is there a student in one of your classes? Is there a need that the school has that we could do? We're going to invest this money back into our community between now and Christmas, all that, you, all that you expand it to. Now, let me tell you, there's three reasons we're doing this. One is... Do you feel that tension right now? Like, oh, what am I going to do with this? I don't want to be a loser. I don't want to be wicked. And some of them are wicked. 
I mean, because some of you, some people have left them in the bathroom on the counter already. Like, coffee shop, you know. Super duper wicked. That's what I'm talking about, right? We just got an envelope for a project we did 10 years ago in 2010. Two weeks ago, it came back in the offering. The envelope, never been opened, $10 and the instructions. Super duper wicked. I mean, they're just bad, bad people, right? You don't want to do that. You want to figure out how to invest it. You want to figure out how to invest it. By the way, there's a lot of really happily homeless people today because you're leaving, you're leaving hope, turning right, seeing a guy, and he's like, man, I made 100 grand this weekend. I was just sitting there doing nothing, and people just throwing money at me, right? With these instructions. I don't know what to do with those, but I got the money, right? <laughs> Three reasons I want you to do it. One, I want you to feel that tension because here's the tension you should live with every day as a Christian. What am I doing for the kingdom of God today with my life? See, Jesus, the parable is a parable of life. What am I doing with my life? I want you to feel that tension. Second, it's an opportunity for you to connect with other people within the body of hope. I'm telling you, hope gets a lot smaller when you get connected with other people. So this is gonna force you to get connected and maybe build some relationships. And then third, because we've done this before, I can't wait to hear the community's response. Because in the past, when we've done this, we've multiplied it anywhere from seven to 10 times. So over the next few weeks, the $100,000 that we've invested in you, I wouldn't be surprised if it's multiplied to a million dollars that's gonna be invested in needs in our community. And you know what? There are gonna be people in our community saying, I'm not even sure what that church believes, and I'm not even sure what their theology is, but if I was gonna go to church, there's something different about that church. And you're going to have an opportunity because somebody's going to say, why are you doing this? And you're going to say, because I serve a living God. Want to hear about him? Want to hear about him? And people's lives are going to be changed. And maybe, just like in Acts chapter 2, people will say, wow, I don't know what's going on over there, but I like what I see. And we're on our way to becoming an Acts chapter 2 church. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't get sweaty about it. I saw my waiter last night. I went to dinner, and he said, not again. I was so stressed out last time we did that. Now I'm going to sleep a wink all night. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. That's good. You should take it seriously, but you should take your life more seriously. Take your life more seriously. Are you guys excited? Wow. Can we try one more time? Are you guys excited? Okay. I'm going to pray. There's communion. It's the first week of the month, so communion upstairs in the chapel. But I'm just going to pray right now for God to bless the next few weeks in our church. Father, thank you for so generously giving to us. And what an honor it is to sit here this weekend and entrust back to the hands of people your resources to see what we're going to do and how we're going to impact the community. This is not about us. This is not about bringing the money back to hope. This is about finding needs, meeting needs, it's an object lesson. It's a reminder every day, this is how I'm to live my life, thinking about how do I expand, how do I in increase my impact that God has given me the opportunity to impact in the community, in the world, with my family, in his kingdom. God, I think there's some people here right now who want to make a difference. I think there are some who downside there's an itching and, and they, don't, they don't know what it is and it's the fact that they're just living a life without purpose. It's just get up, go through the grind, end the week, do it all over again. I pray that through this process maybe they would realize, oh yeah, I felt something different when I did this for others. And Father, I pray that opportunities will open up 
in our community for us to share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Some people who may never, ever come into the doors of this church, but we have the opportunity because we're out where they are to say, let me tell you about the living God that I serve. God, you're so awesome. And we commit this time, we commit this, this, this journey that we're gonna go on together to you. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Communion upstairs. I'll see you next week.